Good morning. Let me see here. Am I on? Yeah, now I am. I can hear me now. Hope that you're all doing well this morning. It's good to see you here. As, as uh, Pastor Aubrey said again, I'm Pastor Wiley. I am uh, the church planner for Ruiz. And God has been so good to us to allow us to be here in Abu Dhabi to get to know so many of you and to be a part of this church. I'm looking really, really looking forward to this Wednesday. I haven't been able to be a part of a members meeting in this church, so it's kind of exciting. 18 months, you're kept away, and then all of a sudden you're allowed to come back. So I look forward to that meeting, look forward to seeing you guys there. Just would you join me one more time in prayer before we begin our message? Father, we just come before you and I ask, Lord, I'm going to preach a very simple message. And I just pray that you would help us to hear and to receive your words. May these words, may the meditation of my heart, may these things be pleasing to you, Lord. We just thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in case you didn't see on Facebook or the announcements, we're going to be changing gears for two weeks here in church, and I'm going to be preaching a series called Following Jesus. Following Jesus is about discipleship. So this week we're going to look about what it means for us personally to be followers of Jesus. Next week we're going to talk about what that looks like in groups with other people as a church. So I have a funny story to tell you this morning. When my wife was pregnant with our second child, Nathan, uh, we were living in the country at the time of Guatemala. And Guatemala is an interesting place. Um, and we were, at this moment, we had to go to a doctor's appointment for my wife, right? She's pregnant. She was probably five or six months at this time, I think. And while we're there with the gynecologist, I begin coughing. And the gynecologist, I mean, this is years ago, right? And the gynecologist says, would you mind if I just take a stethoscope and listen to you? So here I am in what is called the clinic for women, having a gynecologist put a stethoscope on me and listen to me. Not only does she do that, she says, I have some bad news for you. You have the beginning stages of pneumonia. You need some medications. So she walks over to her hot pink notepad that says the clinic for women on the top, and she begins to write a prescription out for me. And guys, just receiving this paper was hard for me. <laughs> you know, I'm a six foot three guy from Texas. And so I take it, I go to the pharmacist, I hand it to him, he looks at it and he says, uh, the dosage is a little bit high for your wife. He said, uh, can, can, I, can we have a discussion? I say, no, um, actually, uh, it's for me. He looks down at the paper, he looks up at me. Have you ever been confused like that? You ever had some funny circumstance or situation happen that it just... It, it doesn't make sense, right, to the other people around you. So often we get things wrong. We don't understand what's happening, right? We think we do, but we don't. History is also filled with these kind of things. Christopher Columbus in 1492 told everyone, I'm going to India. And he gets on a boat, he crosses the ocean, and he lands in Cuba. And when he meets the Native Americans, he says, look at all the Indians. And for 500 years, they're called Indians, but not only does this happen in real life or in history, this often happens with Christianity. Often, we think we understand what it is to be a Christian. 
or what it means to love or what it means to do something as simple as follow Jesus. But the question I've got for you this morning is what if you're only understanding a small piece of that? What if you're missing an entire world that God has opened to you? So I want you to join me this morning as we take a look at a very old, very famous text of the Bible. And I just want you to let God remind you, refresh you, and challenge you to maybe see this with new eyes this morning. Let's read from our text. The text we're going to be reading is Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 to 23. And it says this, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. He went on throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So I just want to begin to this passage by jumping directly into what is the heart of this passage, which is the call of Jesus on the disciples. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the first thing we need to grasp this morning is that discipleship, is about following Jesus. All throughout the Bible, there's a metaphor. Life is described as a way. Decisions are described as paths. Will you take the narrow road or will you take the broad road? There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. We're described as walking in the truth, walking in the light, walking with God, walking in darkness, or walking in the flesh. And what is God saying through this metaphor? I believe he's trying to get across one really important truth. And here it is. You are always moving somewhere spiritually. You're always going somewhere. The deception can be that we think we're like rocks stationary on the ground. When the Bible's trying to tell us, no, 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 you're like boats in an ocean, always going one direction or the other, always being pushed or pulled. You're either growing and going closer to Jesus or you're drifting farther away from him. And these disciples surely had the same encounter with Jesus. Peter and the others were headed down a path. They were going to be regular Jewish men. They were going to fish. Their sons were probably going to be fishermen. This was the direction their life was headed. But Jesus called them, and they, he had much better plans for them than they had for themselves. And hear what I'm saying to you this morning. We have desires. We have plans. And we even have dreams. But I'm convinced, I am convinced that through following Jesus, we will find the thing for which we were created. 
the thing that will change us. You and I were made to walk with God just like Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.8 gives us a little whisper of this. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord from among the trees of the garden. This is a story of them running away from God. But I don't want to point that out. I want you to focus on one phrase at the beginning. It says that they heard God walking in the garden. Now, I don't know about you, but if you hear a strange sound, you don't recognize it, do you? You don't know what that sounds like. You see, by recognizing the sound of God walking, the Bible is giving us a clue into something. This wasn't the first time this had happened. You see, Adam and Eve were created to live in God's presence, to walk with God. Just two chapters later in the book of Genesis, we are interrupted in the story and the flow by genealogy. A genealogy where it says this man lived and he lived this long and he died and he lived this long and he died and he lived this long and he died. And in the middle of this genealogy, if you keep reading through it, you come across an interruption. And in verse 22, it tells us something we probably weren't looking for. It says, Enoch walked with God after he had fathered Methuselah. 200 years. He had other sons and daughters. And then it goes on to say in verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. The genealogy is shocked and rocked by the fact that Enoch does not die. But he walks with God. And the point that Genesis is getting across to us is walking with God is life. It is life. And this is the very thing you and I were created for. When we walk with God, we experience real life. That's what following Jesus means. He didn't just invite them, get behind me in a a straight line. No, he invited to eat with them and live with him and learn from him and be with him. They lived life with Jesus. That is what he was calling them to. And Jesus is not only speaking to Peter and the others. But he's speaking to all of us as well. We're Christians. We're supposed to be disciples and followers of Jesus. How can we follow him? What is the way to do this? You know, we had a funny experience this week. I got, uh, we went as a staff to eat lunch together, right? So the whole church staff goes to eat lunch together. And we're three cars behind each other, and I'm in the third car, right? And I discovered something about following someone. You see, to follow Pastor Aubrey, you've got to be intentional. Not that he was like driving fast or my car didn't work or anything like that. It's just, can you imagine trying to follow a person but not doing it intentionally? Sure, I'm going to follow you, uh, Pastor Albie, but I'm really not going to pay attention to which direction I'm going. You see, some things don't happen unless they happen intentionally. Just let you sit on that for a second. Following Jesus must be intentional. No one gets a PhD on accident. No one has a heart transplant on accident. Well, at least I hope not. No one follows Jesus on accident. It requires intention. And this is what Peter and the others are going to discover. You know, 
when you think about this, Peter and the others, they're men just like us. They're just normal people, right? They're unimportant. They're broken. They're sinful. They're normal. And they're people who Jesus is calling to transform. And it, it just makes me think of us sometimes. Sometimes we don't follow Jesus because we think we're not good enough. Or there's something not great enough about being in us to be a follower of Jesus. And it just makes me think, are you one of those people? Are you struggling with some kind of mental health issue? Are you struggling or confused about which way is the right way to God? Do you have a sinful past that just won't let you go? Jesus does not call the perfect and the righteous, but the broken and the sinners. That's you and I. And he welcomes you. And he calls you. Because the burden is not on you. It's all about the one who called you. Now, we, we just jumped into Matthew, which I, I usually don't like to do. I like to talk through a whole book, right? But we jump into Matthew. And one of the things you can miss if you're not careful is the context. Matthew has spent the first four chapters of this book trying to hammer home one thought. Really one big thought. And it's different from Luke, it's different from Mark, it's different from Matthew. You know, one of the things I constantly, when I worked with college students in the past, one of the questions I would get again and again is, why are there four Gospels and not one? One of the things we don't grasp is that each Gospel is written to a certain person, right? You don't share the Gospel the same exactly with every person, right? You don't get into the conversation the same way, you don't point out the same things. And, and one of the interesting things is Matthew knows who he's talking to. He's talking to Jewish people. And he begins right off the bat in chapter 1 trying to hammer home something totally different from Luke. Luke has a genealogy in which Jesus comes from, yes, the line of David, but it's not the line of kings. But if you compare that to Matthew, it's a kingly line. And Matthew's telling you through a genealogy, this is the king. And if you go on to read and pay attention, he's, he's, the story that's chosen of his birth is not that shepherds came to visit him, but a king tried to kill him. And wise men came to worship him as a king. And as you move on through the story, you see John the Baptist and he begins to say, Who am I? I am a forerunner. You know what forerunners do? They run before royalty, shouting, Here comes the king. This is all about this and about Jesus being king. And when he gets tempted by the devil just a little bit earlier in this passage, the devil doesn't come to him and say, you know, I know you're a carpenter from Nazareth. You know, you could make more money if you cheated people. He says, bow to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Even the devil recognized who Jesus was. But we hear his words this morning, and this is my question. Do you know who he is? Do you know the one who's calling you? Jesus spoke the stars into existence. He looked over at the fish and he said multiply he looked at Lazarus who's dead in the grave he can't hear anything Jesus is saying and he speaks to him he says get up come out and he looks over at these fishermen who are dead sinners and he speaks into their hearts a command follow me 
and life explodes within them. And you need to understand this is the Jesus who's calling you. This is the one. One error that I often commit when I think of following Jesus is that I reduce what it means to follow Jesus into something more comfortable, right? To obey. It's a sort of the same mistake that Christopher Columbus made. I begin to call Native Americans Indians. I begin to decide what it actually means to follow Jesus. But hear me, we shouldn't feel good about calling ourselves Christians while we're not following Jesus. This is why I'm careful to define the word Christian. Christians are disciples of Jesus. Discipleship is about following Jesus. Discipleship is not about going to a Bible study, learning great truths, and then going home and never practicing them. Discipleship is not about going to a prayer meeting and pray, 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 and then I walk out to live like the devil. It's not about praising God on Sunday morning with my lips and then going out, and people couldn't tell by the way I speak and act that I'm a Christian. Discipleship is about following Jesus. The question for you, brothers and sisters, is not are you a Christian? That's an easy question for many of us to answer. The question for you is are you following Jesus? That may be harder to answer, but that's what you're called to do. David Platt speaks of these kinds of Christians like this. He says there's only one conclusion to draw from the invitation, follow me. Jesus is worthy of far more than church attendance and casual association. He's worthy of total abandonment and supreme adoration. Many people have claimed to make a decision, pray a prayer, sign a card, walk an aisle, and accept Jesus in their hearts, but their lives do not look any different. These people say they are Christians, but the reality is they have never met Jesus. That's a powerful quote. Have you ever met Jesus? Or did you just make a decision that never changed you? Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not asking you if your spouse or your friend or your parents follow Jesus. This is a personal question. God is calling us. He's calling you individually. And he's saying, follow me. So the first thing to following Jesus is very simple. Discipleship is exactly that. It's following him. But the second thing we're going to see today is that discipleship is about helping others follow Jesus. Jesus' famous command to Peter and the others doesn't end with follow me. It ends with a beautiful promise. Listen to what it says. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a beautiful promise. To be fishers of men is to bring others to Jesus. Discipleship is helping others follow Jesus, whether lost or saved, whether Christian or non-Christian. Are you helping people follow Jesus? So your personal following Jesus will lead to a transformation, right? He says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. It leads to a transformation, Being a fisher of men, listen, is a result of being a follower of Jesus. It's an effect. Where the fire of the passion for the glory of God exists, it will always spread. 
And when you're filled with Jesus, you can't help but talk about him. Followers of Jesus don't need to be guilted into sharing the gospel. When they follow Jesus, it will happen as a result. The passion for Jesus will spread. I don't know about you, I enjoy sports. And one of the things I realize is that many people don't enjoy the same sports, right? Some people like figure skating. Some people like soccer, football. Some people like camel racing. But one thing I've discovered, whether it's the ancient Romans with their chariots and their gladiators, or the Mayan Indians, where my wife comes from, who play this kind of basketball where the winner gets sacrificed to the gods. I mean, it was crazy. One thing I've realized throughout history, throughout the world, throughout observation is this very simple truth. People love to be fans of stuff, don't they? They love to be fans. You don't have to wait long to know who's a fan, right? You're going to see it on their shirt. You're going to hear it coming out of their mouth within just a second after you meet them. When my son wears one of their soccer jerseys, they, they like soccer. When they wear one of their soccer jerseys, it doesn't take long to find an opponent, right? They'll immediately come to you. But here's the thing about it. We always talk about what we have a passion about. Sports is just one illustration. I think about marriage, and I think about uh, people in love, and how they just talk about that. They can't stop doing it. And so my prayer for you this morning is that Jesus would be so beautiful to you, so wonderful to you, that he would come and reveal himself to you, and that you would truly see how awesome he is. Because when you do that, you're just going to talk about him. I pray that you experience that, that you experience him. Remember, Jesus said, I will make you. That presence is so beautiful and powerful that you'll want to talk about him. So step one, follow him with all your heart. Step two, be transformed by him into a fisher of men. Not too difficult. One of the ways I think about sharing the gospel comes from a story in the Old Testament. There's a story in the Old Testament about four lepers. They're inside uh, a city that's under siege. And the city that's under siege is running out of food. Now, if the city begins to run out of food, lepers were the last people that got food, right? They're, they're, gonna, they're not going to get it. They're considered kind of throwaway people. So these lepers come up with a plan. We're going to go out to the enemy and we're going to beg for food. So they do that. They begin to head out to the enemy tents and they come to discover something. The enemy has run away. God has caused the enemy to literally run away in the middle of the night. And so here they are, four lepers, and here are tents filled with gold, filled with all kinds of good things. Food, everything that these beggars and lepers wanted. And they begin to just feast and enjoy and new clothes. And, and all of a sudden, in the middle of their enjoying, they recognize something. There's an entire city back there starving. And they look at each other and they say, what we're, enjoying, what we're doing is not right. This is a day for good news. And this is how I want to share my faith. I realize who I am. I'm a spiritual leper. I'm unworthy to be around Jesus. 
and I'm a beggar. I'm so spiritually needy. I need God for everything. I need him to love my family. I need him to serve as a pastor. I, I don't have the strength to do the most simple things. I need Jesus. I'm a leper and a beggar. And this, brothers and sisters, does not keep me from sharing the gospel. It enables me to share the gospel. Because when you are one sinful beggar sharing with another sinful beggar, where to find the bread of life, it changes everything. It changes everything. You know, when you begin to experience this Jesus, your world is going to change. Even if you've known him for 10 years or 15 years, when you begin to, in obedience, follow him, your workplace environment will begin to change. People will notice something different. Your relationships will begin to change. Not because you're even trying, but because when you follow Jesus, you can't help but spill Jesus out on everyone. And spill love out on everyone. And Jesus will begin to do what he can only do as you follow him. And he's going to open the doors for you to share the gospel. And you can reach out to people. Not as the righteous one sharing with them how to be righteous like you. But as a sinner. In need of a savior. So we see these two great truths about following Christ just from one simple line. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Being a disciple is following Jesus. And being a disciple is all about helping others to follow Jesus. There's one last thing in the text that we're going to see today. Discipleship is about loving Jesus more than anything else. Let's just take a look at the text one more time to see a few details, starting in verse 19. It says this, And he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. The text is highlighting the response of the first disciples. Verse 20 says very clearly, immediately they left their nets. Verse 22 says, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Peter and Andrew leave their nets and their jobs. John and James leave their boat and their father. In a culture where honoring your father was everything. Make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters listening to me today. To follow Jesus, you must give up something. Always. That's just the way it works. It may be a good thing. Maybe it's not your job or your parents like, like these guys had to face, but maybe you need to give up some sleep to get up and spend time with God. Maybe if you're a teenager here, you should give up a little bit of your video games, your time on a screen your cell phone. But maybe it's something more dark than that. Maybe you're here and you're hiding some sin. Maybe you're viewing pornography or you're in some secret dark relationship or you're hiding even as a Christian. You know what? 
can't follow darkness and light at the same time. It just won't work together. It can't happen. Some of us have redefined Christianity to the point that we get the world and Jesus at the same time. And I know living in Abu Dhabi is nice. I know the malls are nice. I know the parks are nice. I know the beach is nice. I know the money that we make in our business and all the things. A lot of it's nice. And it, it's, it leads many times to a life of luxury for many people. And it can be very easy to latch on to luxury and live a life that never requires me to sacrifice anything, ever. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about some kind of legalistic, you know, uh, give everything up and, and, you know, live in a tent out on the street. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I don't even believe Jesus is really talking. He's going to carry the disciples. He calls each person to a different kind of obedience. But what I think it always means is sacrifice. And it always means following him. Because here's the point, guys. When you love something, you show it by your willingness to give up everything for it. That is the nature of love. It reminds me of a story I heard probably 20 years ago of a family in California. California has a northern part. It's beautiful. It's got mountains. Um, And in this northern part of California, this family had rented a, a cottage up on the top of a mountain. And as they get to the mountain, the owner of the house is waiting with the keys. And it was kind of one of those weird situations where the house was here, and then it went downward and off the cliff, right? There was a, like a kind of a walking path where you could see, and off a steep cliff. And as they went in to the house there and began to speak with the owner, they left their two children inside the car, five and seven years old. That's when they heard a scream. The mother ran out of the cottage to discover that the car was rolling in neutral towards the edge of the cliff. The father was farther behind, but the mother took off as fast as she could run, trying to scramble to figure out how can I stop this car before it goes off of the cliff. She made a split-second decision. She ran in front of the car. The children describe watching her as she went under the car. They saw her face. And her body actually slowed the car down enough to allow the father to catch up to it and stop it. And this lady today sits in a wheelchair. And let me tell you something. Whenever she looks out on her daughter's, And she calls her daughters to do things for her. They don't struggle. You see, the key to giving up things for Jesus is an understanding what he gave up for us. We love him because he loved us first. When you love something, you'll give anything up for it. God cared for us first. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He knew us before we were in our mother's womb. He's the best father we could ever desire. 
His love can be seen all around us, even in the deepest darkness and the worst kinds of sufferings. And that's the love we enjoy singing about, isn't it? Here's the important point about love. It came at a terrible price with a crown of thorns, nails in his hand, spitting on, being mocked. And this is the Jesus who today looks out on you and he says to you, I love you. Follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple. If you're here this morning and you've never heard that simple story, it's really, really not a hard story to understand. One day, each one of us must face God for the life that we lived on earth and the choices we made. And our conscience tells each one of us, doesn't it? That my good works are not enough. I'm just never quite enough. But God so loved the world that he gave us his son. That the one who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. I just come to you this morning and I say, lost or saved, Christian or non-Christian, will you answer the call of discipleship? Will you love him because he first loved you? And will you follow Jesus? That's what it means to be a disciple. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so thankful this morning for your simple words that challenge us, that encourage us, I just pray, God, for those hearing this. You minister to our hearts. Give us the grace to obey you, God. We just thank you so much for this day and the opportunity to be here, worshiping together, following you together. In Jesus' name.